Broadcasting from Newfoundland, Canada, you're listening to the I Never Cast for This Podcast. Get ready for controversial opinions and debates, but most importantly, let's talk gaming. Your ears are in the right place. This is I Never Cast for This. Hello, gamers, and welcome to episode 20 of the I Never Cast for This podcast. I am your host, Kelthar, and today we will be debating over historical accuracy and authenticity in video games. Should developers aim to be 100% accurate when it comes to depicting history in gaming? How much change is too much for developers when it comes to portraying historical events? And can can games actually be historically accurate and fun? So these are a few of the things that we're going to talk about today on the podcast. And uh, before we do, I'd just like to do a few intros here to introduce who we have here. And uh, we actually have some fantastic guests joining us on the show for the very first time who are perhaps the best possible people to ask this question to. And we'll get to them in a moment. But before we get to them, uh, again, my uh, my name is Kelthar. And to my right on the panel, we have returning once again is Erebus. What's up, man? What's up, man? Looking forward to getting into this topic with these two fine gentlemen. Yes. Yes, that's right. We have two fine gentlemen here joining us for the very first time we have two very special guests we have actually the co-founders of stormy shore studios we have evan and jordan welcome to the podcast guys thank you thank you thank you yes no it's awesome having you guys here we're i'm super excited we've uh, evan you and i've been talking for a while about getting uh, getting you and jordan on here to uh, to have a good discussion about uh, not just your gaming company but just actually having a debate as as well so um as i mentioned Evan and Jordan are both part of Stormy Shore Studios, and uh, yeah, do you guys just want to give us a brief overview of what exactly you guys are all about? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, we create historical and cultural-focused video games with educational components for the mass market. We want to make sure we balance history and culture and education in a package that's fun for the end user and uh, enjoyable to play, and we want to spread that kind of knowledge around the world hopefully and right now we as we're based in newfoundland we're focusing on newfoundland stories newfoundland games and our first two games are regiment and relocation regiment being about the first world war and the world newfoundland regiments experiences uh, inside and outside that war and uh, relocation is about is a psychological horror game about the newfoundland resettlement program nice that sounds super cool i can't wait to talk more about that. I can't wait to actually try these games too. I've seen uh, clips you have posts on Facebook and Instagram and, and stuff like that. So that's, uh, that's super cool. So, so what are you, what are your roles? Like, I know you're both the co-founders, but specifically what is, what is it uh, you guys do in the company? Good question. Is this a, is this a small uh, question or a big question? That's a really question? good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is not a great start for us. Uh, everything and nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A- anything, everything, nothing. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're the co-founders. We basically manage business operations. We're coordinating a lot of different things, um, and we split the duties between the both of us, basically. Um, it's the simplest way to put it. Um, but yeah, we aren't uh, the hands-on developers, but we uh, supervise the development process and guide it and try to make sure the ideas stay, I guess, on in line with what we we expect and so on and so forth but yeah so we manage a small team right now i think it's about what 10 people now that's good yeah it's getting bigger yeah yeah you guys are growing yeah that's awesome yeah 
Yeah. Cool. No, yeah, I would say uh, a lot of a lot of what we do is uh, talking to each other about the direction, what the team is doing, and then you know once we kind of come to an agreement, then one or the other of us will kind of talk to the team. So it's uh, like I said, it's 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 everything and it's nothing. It's really everything <laughs> and it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. So there's times when you guys just kick your feet up and relax, and other times when you literally crack the whip. I guess it. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, crack the whip of myself. I don't know, I don't, I don't know about I don't know about relax, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah. A of, yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of whip cracking. Yeah. yeah, no, no, that's that's really cool. Yeah, and uh, when we answer a lot of these, when we talk about a lot of these questions, uh, yeah, feel free to draw on a lot of the experience you have with Sormi Shore, and I'm sure that will certainly help with guiding the answers to a lot of these questions. So, yeah, I'm super excited to hear more about uh, what you guys are all about. So. Just before we get into all that, just as I said, you are listening to the I Never Cast for this podcast, and we finally hit 20 episodes, so I'm super excited about that. Hopefully, you guys are too. And uh, in previous episodes, if, if you're a first-time listener, we've talked about a lot of controversial topics in the past, such as gaming disorder and is that a real disorder or not? We've talked about is VR really the future of gaming? We've, we've talked about so many different things now, so... You should definitely check out past episodes. They all have timestamps. You can go right to the topic of the week if you want to skip all the old news and stuff like that. So we're live every Monday, usually at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Today we're here at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, but generally it'll be 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, if you can't catch us live, you can always catch us on YouTube, and we're also on most major podcast networks as well. And uh, stick around to the end of the show because I always ask a trivia question to every uh, to the panel, and I want uh, to see if I can stump them today. So we'll uh, we'll have to see. So we shall see. Uh, before we get into the topic of the week, I like to normally just ask uh, how everyone's doing and what you guys have been up to. So, uh, Erebus, we'll start with you. How have you been since the last podcast? Pretty good, man. Still, uh, still grinding a little bit of World of Warcraft with uh, Athricus and a few others, and. Uh, having fun with that surprisingly i really didn't think i'd enjoy it as much but the changes they've made to the game to make it a lot more uh casual for the leveling process and all that stuff has been fun um other than that still uh i i need to get pokemon going i know you're playing that the through the or you i think you said you beat the expansion or got through the story so i still need to do that on the uh the crown tundra expansion but uh mostly been on my pc lately so that's what i'm doing right now they announced the the expansion for wow's coming november 23rd yeah yeah and the pre-patch i think is dropping november 10th so a bunch of us are just getting uh getting set up for that so it's been fun it's been fun yeah. more enjoyed a lot more than i thought it would so it's good yeah that's good yeah yeah i'll be looking to get into it uh pretty soon i'm just dreading doing that resub because once i do the resub then i'm fully committed it's all downhill from and there. it's all downhill from there yet yeah. no for sure uh Evan, I know it's your first time on the podcast, but uh, what have you uh, been up to? You can tell us a little bit about yourself within Stormy Shore or outside, what could, like gaming-wise or not. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I'll focus more on games instead of getting into the habit of rambling about the company, because that's always dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually recently completed uh, Gone Home for the first time. Nice. Uh, that was sitting in my library for a while, and I knew it was a bit of a different uh, gameplay experience in the horror genre, if you consider it that. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, uh, maybe a bit of research for relocation. I also, surprisingly, I think about mm, a couple weeks ago, I finished the, the first Last of Us. Finally played it, and uh, I don't know what took me so long, and absolutely loved it. So that's 
that's that. Um, and yeah, otherwise, I'm just trying to kind of picking at my library as I go. I don't play um, any online games really. I'm kind of just more of a single player guy. So uh, nice. uh, that's, that's not true. Just... That's not true. That's not true. We've been playing Phasmophobia. That, oh, that's true. Yes, we <laughs> have been. Yes, I can't. Why did I forget that's that? Right. It's been such a huge thing lately. I, I yeah, that has okay. been a huge part of our lives. Yeah, we've been playing Phasmophobia together uh, along with uh, another uh, team member actually, and uh, the three of us have been, I'd say, two or three nights a week. We've been getting yeah. into phasmophobia nice. and nice. hunting are some you, goats. You playing it in VR or regular? Really uh, no, regular. <laughs> okay. I heard it, I heard it's in yeah. VR too. It, uh, it looks really. Yeah, I heard it's terrifying yeah. in VR. So yeah, <laughs> terrifying in VR. Yeah, I can only imagine. It's scary enough flat screen. So uh, I don't want to strap it to my eyeballs. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we've been playing that too. So it's kind nice. of the the odd one out for Evan. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Gone Home. That that game. I love that game. I loved every second of it, man. Uh, did you like it? <laughs> it's my kind of um, game. I, I, that's I don't want to get off the rails opinions. here. Yeah, but uh, it's uh, it was interesting. It gave me a lot of good ideas, but it also gave me a lot of thing ideas for things I don't want to do. Sure. Now, so, Evan, you you never played it in C two, right? Like you never played it when it came out. You just like your first time was playing it recently, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I think maybe you'd feel a little bit differently if you played it when it came out, time and place. But hmm. yeah, I liked it. I just like games that are just you get thrown in, and you the it, this whole thing is kind of driven by what you do. You decide where you want to go and what you want to mm-hmm. look at, and and that kind of stuff. I don't. Know, I I just I love games like that. Yeah. That's just me. Um, and Jordan, you said you've been playing uh, Phasmophobia. Is there any anything else you've been playing or? We've been playing it. Well, you know, uh, when you develop games, you don't really play them that often. Uh, it's just <laughs> kind of how busy you end up being. But uh, we've been lucky enough that the three of us have gotten some time. And, you know, we kind of, in between missions, we'll talk business and then we'll go on a mission and then it'll be serious ghost hunting. But uh, actually, I uh, I just started uh, Doom Eternal last night. Nice. I got through the first nice. two levels of Doom Eternal. Uh, I have to say, I think the original, well, I say the original, the first modern Doom the most recent modern doom uh was better yeah. the last one was better i kind of like was it the, uh, okay. the, the not so subtle dig at the uh at the oil industry i think narratively it was like much more impressive i think it's like really off the rails now with like the whole sentinels and all this weird doom guy is like a knight kind of stuff but uh but it's fun anyway you know i, I guess you don't really play doom for the story right no exactly um, yeah yeah, yeah. So that's that's most of what I've been playing, and then I'll just I'll take heat off of Evan for not liking Gone Home, and I'll say uh, The Last of Us is actually a little bit overrated. But uh, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. this is going to be a fight right away. We, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, we can just abandon the topic and get into this debate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually don't own a PlayStation, and I've never played uh, Last of Us either. I really want to. I never played God of War. I never played any of the exclusives. I played Uncharted on like PS3 back in the day, but that was it. So if anyone has a PS4, <laughs> okay. they want to play God of War. Play God of War, but you can you can skip uh, you can skip the Last of Us. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. I'm not nope, not getting into it. <laughs> whatever. Nice. All right. Okay. I think we're ready to get into the topic of the week. So, as stated at the top of the show, we are going to be discussing historical accuracy in video games. And ultimately, we're going to try to decide on if historical accuracy actually matters in games or not. So, 
there's multiple directions we can take this, but let's just start with this. So do you think a game can be totally historically accurate and fun at the same time? Is that possible for a game to be totally 100% historically accurate? Well, maybe, maybe even take the fun part out of it. Is it possible for a game to be totally historically accurate? Uh, that's a bigger question. Can we ever know? Can we ever know history? What do we know? What don't yeah, we know? Yeah, I guess you'd have to preface that by saying, assuming that the the history is written correctly, I would say yes. Like if you're following the history that the way it's written, I would say you can make it historically accurate based on what you know. But to know if something is truly historically accurate. And then it's about what you do know, too. I mean, like if you yeah. have... So, so you might have a document and all the stuff might be, yeah, yeah, that's accurate. But then there might be gaps. It's like, oh, if you're designing a, I don't know, a landscape, it might not describe what the buildings look like. And then you got to do some guesswork yes. and so on and so yeah. forth. So it, the further back you go and the d- different societies and cultures you look at, different ways of recording history. And sometimes the history was recorded by the victors, the people who won and make another group look bad. And that might be the only thing you have to go off of. So that's a complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> It is, yeah, and and you're right, right? Like, okay, let, well, let's let's even break it down further than that. So let's assume that it's history that, well, yeah, that's that's even harder. So, like, I guess it's it would have to be history that is generally accepted as being true. So, for for example, in your in your games, so you're trying to be, I'm assuming, relatively historically accurate in your games. Am I right with saying that? No. <laughs> okay. I would say no. Okay. Yeah, I. Yeah, I'd agree with Jordan on that. I mean, it's. I think it's almost the terms. It's almost like the term accuracy. It's like there's such a high bar for that that I'm not willing to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Historically accurate games. That's what we're doing. It's sure. just. Uh, I don't know. Authenticity, absolutely. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, we're trying to do what we can, but then you also have to look at, I don't know, not not to get all businessy, but like return on investment. I'm not talking like money. I'm talking like how much time do you put into developing a certain aspect and checking through this history and making sure everything's correct before you actually lose the return you're going to get on it, like figuring out if a certain item had a certain type of handle, you know, so on and so forth. So you don't want to get bogged down in that type of history. So I don't know. It's, it's, I would, to make a bold claim, I think. Hello? Hello? Uh, Did you all drop or just me? Oh, what happened there? That's weird. Did we all drop? Did everybody drop? I think we're all good. That was weird. That's the first time that's ever happened to us. That's that's really strange. Did anyone hear my bold claim or should I repeat it? No, 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 it was hilarious. We dropped the bold claim. I'm going to make a bold claim. Here's a bold claim. I'm going to make a bold claim. (laughs) Cliffhanger. It was so bold. It crashed the stream. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I don't think they wanted to be said. Maybe that's a sign. Um, I don't think you can make an entirely historically accurate game, period. Full stop. Okay. I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to to add to that. I don't think yeah. anyone wants that. I mean, t- there are, I'll, I'll rephrase that because there are people who want that. Um, sure. But uh, I think at the end of the day, to make something compelling, it does have to be fun, right? Uh, like the best academics in the world can make the best academic book in the world, but if it's not well written, no one's going to read it. And it's the same with the game. If a game's not fun, nobody's going to play it. And even the people who do, they won't really remember it. And if they do, maybe they'll remember it as that bad game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think the I think the two different terminology, and actually I, I heard this from uh, a no clip documentary on the uh, Creative Assembly, the Total War guys, and uh, the lead artist said, you know, he doesn't go for historical accuracy; he goes for historical authenticity. Uh, and his basic definition of that was kind of what you expect to see. A lot goes into that. A lot goes into what you expect to see. You know. Uh, I'll just use a quick example, you know, anything to do with Rome. Uh, if it, like, let's say it's a TV show or something like that. If the actors aren't uh, speaking with British accents, suddenly it's very unbelievable. Mm-hmm. If Julius Caesar comes in with an American accent, nobody's buying it. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone's taken out of that because we have this expectation that like Romans have been very British in the way we present them in media. Um, and his actual example in the creative assembly thing was uh, Spartans. Um, we all kind of have an image in our head of what a Spartan is, right? Like they have the red cape, uh, like a loincloth that may or may not protect too much. Uh, maybe like <laughs> the chiseled breastplate, you know, the gold plumed uh, with the red plume helm and stuff like that. So uh, there are certain things we expect. And, and you know, I, I would argue... I'm always more on the argue, I'm always more on the fun side, you know. I, like one of my roles is is UX, and that's my background, so I focus a lot on that. Um, I would argue that giving people what they expect is almost more important, um, and then adding historical elements or interesting elements that then encourage a player to go and learn the real history. That's that's the most important thing. I think that's the most valuable thing games can bring to this discussion. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm going to use Rome again because I love Rome. Um, I'm a huge fan of the ancient Rome, RIP, miss it, bring back the (laughs) empire. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I got there through total war, total war Rome. I loved it, you know, like put hundreds and hundreds of hours into it as a kid. And I, I just learned about it from there. Right. And, and the HBO TV show Rome as well. So I think that's really that's really what you want to do. You want to make it historically authentic. You want to make it close, but you can never lose sight of like what what the purpose of your medium is. And in our case, it's to entertain. It's to be fun. Yeah, no, those are all really solid points for sure. And uh, mentioning Spartans, I've uh, been playing a little bit of Assassin's Creed Odyssey as well. I don't know if you guys have played that or not. Yep. But uh, that one's all about uh, you know Spartans and in Athens and all that all that kind of stuff in Greece, but it's uh yeah like while i'm playing it i'm like oh this actually makes me kind of want to do a bit more research about you know spartans and stuff even though i know in the game like the main character is able to wield like every single weapon in the game perfectly i'm like i'm sure like i don't know if spartans would actually be able to do that like i'm sure they would be able to master one or two weapons not literally like 12 of them with perfect like that like that kind of stuff right but like Obviously, it's not totally historically accurate, but it's like you said, like the historical authenticity, like the way they design the worlds in that game, like are obviously condensed to what they actually are or else you wouldn't be able, it would take forever to get anywhere in the game. But I I, I think that's certainly important for sure. Evan could talk more about the propaganda poster angle, but um, it's historically authentic, but we are taking like really fun and cool liberties and we're going in really cool directions with some of our ideas um that no one would say is historically accurate as far as the battlefield goes 
Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of people's perception uh, at the time and our percept playing with perception and stuff like that, I would say that's a huge part of it. I'm glad you brought up that word propaganda. Like, when do these creative liberties become dangerous, right? Or and or when do bias? If if can biases come into play here, right? Like, if like I, I read an example, uh, an article earlier today. And it was an example of a movie with Mel Gibson. I can't remember what the movie was, but basically they were portraying British British soldiers in an extremely negative light. What was that? Right. Patriot. 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 Yeah. And I never saw the movie myself. So you guys probably, if you've seen it, then feel free to explain it better than I am. You should watch it. It's very good. As as American as it is, it's very good. Okay. And, but apparently in the movie, British soldiers are perceived not well at all, like in a very negative light. And they're shown doing things that are very bad I don't, I don't know what they are and basically like it's showing the allied forces in an extremely positive light and in british not so much but and you could argue maybe it's historically authentic or not but to me that could be potentially dangerous because you know in actual history this is not how it was and the british are not actually portrayed in that in that way in real life if that makes any sense i don't know if you guys can probably explain this better than i can but so Sorry, uh, just just jumping off of Jordan's previous point and what you just said and tying a few things together, look at the Vikings and how they're portrayed. And if you break down the history, like great seafarers, you know, they had a lot of good farming techniques and so on and so forth. I'm watering this down horribly, so just forgive me for that. But you look at the way society is, and people often, the way popular culture has went toward Vikings due to TV shows, games, so on and so forth, is a very favorable view now. Generally, they try to find these positive spins on Viking culture. Hmm? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous now. Like if you look at uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and that opening trailer where they're like raiding this village and a woman and her kid turn the corner and the Vikings like, oh, no, they're they're just a woman and kid. Don't kill them. It's like, come on. Yeah. I mean, if if you look at the actual history, I mean, like the brutality was like in some ways, I'm not saying like a cultural sweep here, but what I... It was just kind of built in in some ways, and you dealt with disputes. Right. And I read about one time when I was looking at the history, this farmer was like, yeah, I didn't like the way you looked at me. And he went up and just hacked up the guy and just like, yeah, that's it. That's how we settle it. So you get that, but then you get the pop culture spin on it. So that, in a way, is a bias. That, in a way, is a propaganda. That, in a way, is what does the audience want to see? And you've kind of created this culture around that. So linking back to our game, and specifically one of our games, Regiment, is the propaganda around the First World War. the Not the posters necessarily, but the actual propaganda. So you look at the idea of the German as the Hun. They are the bad guy. They are evil. They are these demon, demonic creatures, and they're going to eat your wives and children. And, and that kind of thing freaked people out because they didn't have internet. They didn't know who the Germans were. They just heard these stories, and they were like, oh, well, I've got to like help my, my country, my nation, to to prevent this this disaster from happening. And it's... It's wild how that manipulation kind of seeped in. So basically, the my whole point is that's happened in, throughout history, and it happens currently in pop culture where you uh, get was, these historical, you know. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. I was I was gonna say actually, like you know, Evan says like you know they didn't have the internet, they didn't have this, they didn't have that. Like, don't be fooled, right? We still do this to this day, and uh, yeah. we, we do that right now with China. We did it with Russia before, you know, during the Cold War and stuff like that. We continually do it. That we that's what we do to our enemy, right? Uh, and cultures that we don't know a lot about, we only learn about so much in school, and uh, usually we learn about another country or culture when it pops up uh, in the media in a big way. Yeah, for sure. 
Erebus, we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, do you any takes you want to throw in here? No, no, I'm finding it all uh, really interesting hearing these guys get into a little bit more of the specifics. I'm not a history buff by any means, so like I, I find it interesting just hearing about your games and kind of the philosophies that you have and what you're you're working on because you know I would not be like I I re- I'm not a history buff, but I love history and games, so I love. Um, when there's that that sprinkle, so like growing up, Age of Empires two was one of my favorite favorite franchises growing up playing whoa, RTSs, whoa, yeah. right? Yeah. All, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ele- I think eleven was the laugh. The all would the please, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so like obviously, and I don't again, I don't even know how historically accurate that game even was, but as a kid, it was just fascinating to learn about all the different, um, you know, races and, and all the different things within that game and the histor- history and going through the campaign and. Joan of Arc and all that stuff. It was just, it was really, really interesting to me and it kind of stuck with me. And, but I just feel that historically, um, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think making a game entirely historically accurate, I think like, how do you do that and keep a good gameplay loop? So I, 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 I don't know what the threshold or the balance is. Um, but I think for me, like looking at the games that you guys are developing and I haven't done much research on it, but, um, I'm interested in how you guys, you know, figure out that threshold. And you mentioned that you, your, your battlefield or whatever is not historically accurate, um, but you've, you know, you, you're you're taking some liberties to make it more entertaining for the gamer, but keeping the history in there. So I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that because, um, or how you make those decisions or what you guys look for in games. Because for me, like, I I like to look for. Um, I, I like history. I like I like just accuracy in games in general. Like it, this isn't a history example, but I, I I like the division and like the portrayal of New York City in that game and and going through it and exploring and kind of seeing all the different areas and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's 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 my <laughs> uh, take on the history thing. I, I think it I, I think it can be really valuable to games. Uh, the propaganda piece I'll touch on quick too that. Um, I think it's important in how you market the games that if you're claiming it's historically authentic or it's historically accurate, that, it, that there is no risk of of propaganda because some a lot of history is debatable. A lot of history is, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of examples that um, are controversial in, 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 you know, just because it was taught in school doesn't make it historically accurate and things like that. So making the claim of something being historically accurate or authentic, I think is, it's interesting how you market that to people and how you, you know, target that group of gamers um, without pissing people off or ruffling feathers and stuff like that. So I find, I find that I find all of it really interesting. It's not, it's not a market I even really knew existed until you, I heard you guys were coming on and did a little bit more research on it. Do you think uh, those are all good points for sure. Do you think companies should post disclaimers at the start of a game saying if something is historically accurate to their to the best of their ability or not, or do you think that's up to the to the uh, consumer to figure out on their own? So, are you talking about something similar to what Ubisoft does, where like this game was made by a team, multi faith team from different backgrounds, so on and so forth, but something to do with historical accuracy yeah, or like something like something, that? Something like that, yeah. What do you think? Just for, I guess, for purposes of not pushing like propaganda pieces and stuff. So you almost uh, mean you almost mean like at the start of a movie when they say it's based on true story, but yeah, like, like things have been. A lot changed of the time, they say inspired by true events, and it's like yeah. not at all. <laughs> like, I think uh, right. 
Right. I think uh, I think the issue there is that those stories, like what you see in the media, like that that kind of becomes the story, right? Because people very often, uh, unless unless it really excites them and they really do the research, um, that becomes their story. So however you depict it in your medium, that becomes the story. So. You know, you take HBO's Rome. I told you I'll be going back to Rome uh, every every time. You take HBO's Rome. Uh, Atia of the Julii, who's a major character, she's Augustus's mom, or Octavian's mom, uh, and she's a major character, and they portray her as an awful, awful person, like scheming and backstabbing and two-faced and greedy and just terrible, absolutely terrible person. The only historical record we actually have of her is that she was a very lovely lady, a good mom, and very religious and very prim and proper. And, <laughs> you know, Augustus wins, and he writes the history from, from then on, right? Uh, and it's his mom. So chances are, he, you know, he, even if his mom was bad, he loves her, or he wants his family to be remembered, the entire group to be remembered as, like, true, good, moral Romans. So it could totally be propaganda, and she totally could have been evil, but what do more people know? More people know the Atia of the Julii from uh, HBO's Rome than they do from, you know, the whatever, the, the vellum that's 2,000 years old that was found in the dirt of Rome. So uh, whatever you do becomes the story. I think maybe, it's, maybe it would be a good thing, but I don't think any medium does it, you know. Like, other than the large sweep, the large narrative, everything in between is going to be made up. You know, every conversation, almost every conversation that Julius Caesar has is going to be made up. You know, every conversation that uh, William Wallace has is going to be made up. It's it's the overarching narrative. And I think it's important to kind of have the overarching narrative be as accurate as possible. You know, in HBO Rome's case, it's, you know, Julius Caesar is in Gaul, the triumvirate. He comes back, he crosses the Rubicon, he's stabbed, you know, Brutus, A2 Brute, all that stuff. The stuff that we know, it's all... That's all right, you know, but the conversations in between can be made up. And I don't, I don't think it hurts anything necessarily, but those characters become how we perceive them. So, so here's my issue. And I hear you mentioning like, you know, like Adia's, um, her portrayal and so on and so forth. And my issue is with disclaimers and so on and so forth is how recent do you have to get before it starts to get bothersome to people the way you portray real people. Right. How far back? Like, yeah, who's going to complain? Yeah, Julius Caesar, he was my he great, 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 blah, 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 who cares? <laughs> so you might get historians complaining, but generally you're not going to get that. But the more you go into the modern times, I mean, family members could still be alive. And, and, and that's the struggle I have with the disclaimer is if you're doing a piece that's supposed to be based in a part of history and you have people portrayed that have very close relatives alive, or they might even be alive. What do you do then with disclaimers? And then then that's what I'm wondering, like, Mm. how do you toe that line? Mm. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting question too, because obviously, yeah, there's like a, there's a spectrum, right? When we talk about horrible stuff that happened 2000 years ago, it's like, yeah, okay, they went into the city, they killed everyone, men, women, children, there was rape, there was murder. We don't really think about it, right? It's like a statistical thing. Uh, but World War II, no, that's like very visceral. That's ter- like, we really feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's, a, that's a really good point. And then 
further from that, what about kind of alternate reality things? It's like Wolfenstein is a good example. Wolfenstein, completely over the top, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. However, it actually is like narratively very serious tonally, you know, and they do actually very brave things like putting you in a concentration camp. Um, they do, uh, like the, the initial montage is brilliant. I think where you're in the, the mentally ill hospital, uh, or the mental illness hospital. Uh, and you see them slow, like you see the Nazis slowly take all the patients out and kill them. Um, so they do very brave, serious things and it happens kind of in an alternate reality, but it still really matters to people in case in point, uh, the German version of Wolfenstein uh, they have to take out the swastikas and they have to they have to eliminate Hitler's mustache. So, um, but everything else they can keep. Um, so it, it's a very interesting point. Even, you know, you take these historical elements and if they're a little bit too recent and you put them in like a sci-fi game or something like that, like Wolfenstein, uh, it can still have a very serious effect. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's the tough thing with, with Regiment is, I mean, World War One was... Uh, I mean, well, 100 years ago, over a little over 100 years ago, it ended. But still, there's people that are still very connected to that. And I, it's still in that realm of recency where we've got to be careful with some of the depictions and some of the people we put in there. And, you know, linking back to the propaganda thing, there's certain ideas about certain generals and majors and various higher-ups that should have done this differently and that differently. And they're blamed for sacrificing soldiers, whereas other historians say, ah, it's not their fault, it's this person's. Who do you believe? Who do you follow? And, like, how do you not offend people and bother people through doing that. And I, I think that's really, really tough to navigate. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine that for sure. Like, do you think it's an issue to include actual real individuals that really existed in video games or does that lead to too much potential misinterpretation of who they were or what they did? Like, cause I guess biases can still come into play there. Can't they? Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if there's an easy answer to that one. I mean, we're so used to putting real people that lived in video games. Julius Caesar is a great example. How many games has Caesar been in? You know, how many games yeah. has, I don't know. I can't, I'm, I'm running out of examples right now already. I'm running oh, out of Ronald examples. Reagan, Call, of Duty, Call of Duty Black Ops uh, called Blop, Blop, yeah, Blop, or whatever that's it is. Right. <laughs> BLP CW. Um, uh, yeah, Ronald Reagan is depicted in there. And JFK and, and, was but, one too, yeah. Yeah, and but then, you know, you have... Uh, it's a great question because, you know, okay, so you choose someone who was actually at Beaumont Hamill or whatever, and you use their name and you use their likeness, you know, their relatives obviously have a vested interest in that. uh, And it's their relatives. So maybe they love that person, but maybe the person wasn't a good person, or maybe they did something terrible or something. Uh, You know, like uh, many people love Ronald Reagan. Uh, I think they're wrong. So, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, you can say the same about people like Margaret Thatcher and stuff like that. So uh, many people love Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. It, it's our perception of these people and, yeah. and what we value and what we think, you know, might be heinous um, and and how those outweigh each other. And I, I think that's what you find with all kind of, great people of history is that yeah they do good things they do bad things and some people focus more on the bad and other people focus more on the good winston churchill is another great example i think he's a heinous human being 
but people love him. And, you know, his head graces uh, Winston Churchill Park <laughs> right there in St. John's. So uh, right downtown Halifax here, we have a giant Mudman statue of him. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting just discussion. Yeah, and just a quick jump jump off there to connect back to um, um, a game that just kind of popped in my head. So Assassin's Creed Unity was a one-to-one recreation of Paris at the time, apparently. And I mean, they did a lot of research into that and all the architecture and so on and so forth. But to get the real individuals to fit in the story, that's where they took the liberties and the historical inaccuracies seeped in. And awesome. What they did with the the, the architecture and everything, amazing. But you look at how they misrepresented many historical figures, throw them into an assassin or a Templar storyline. Yeah, I mean, it was hundreds of years ago, but how do you reconcile that? It, it, you know, you're knowingly doing it. And it's not like, oh, there's gaps in the history. They must have been an evil Templar. No, it's like, I'm going to make them evil for the purposes of this game. You know, and, and that's happened a bunch in games. And not to point, Ubisoft has done some great historical work. But yeah, it's really tough to navigate that. So even when you have all that great history in there. And is, but is, yeah. that a, is that a problem, do you think? Like, do you think that's wrong of them to do? It deliberately try, trying to shoehorn a historical figure into a story to fit your needs when you know that it just wouldn't have happened that way. And there's enough history to back it up. I do think it's problematic if you've done your research mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And you're trying to portray something like that, you know, the one-to-one recreation of Paris. And then you look at the other direction, you go, well, this historical figure, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm running out of names like Robespierre um, is, is probably a good example of, they misrepresented him and in the game and various other things. So it's, it is problematic because you're coming across as, ah, it's a historical game, but then it's like, well, where is the strength of the history and where should it be? I mean, I'm a firm believer history is about the people and history is about getting their authentic stories and trying to make that work because history is told through people. Nothing would, would be told if we didn't know. I mean, like there's so many mysteries now, like you look at, I don't know, Stonehenge and you don't have a recorded history of Stonehenge. So people are still trying to figure out what does it all mean? So, but it's the people that record the history. So I think that when you're deliberately misrepresenting a person, that's when it gets problematic, no matter how far back it goes. Yeah, I, compl- I, 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 I agree with that to an extent that it, from, from a, from a s- surface level piece, like I, I, again, I'm going back to more of my childhood. That seems like when I played more of the historical games, but like Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, um, Normandy, they, they, back in the day, that was portrayed really well, um, very surface level. I, again, don't know the full historical um, accuracy of it or how they portrayed it, but it was surface level and it got me into researching more about that event. And that's what I, that's what I like in the game, in the games that I play from the historical point of view. Um, however, if they're going as far as you're saying, uh, Evan and representing characters and I'm using the game, the game as my primary media device to learn about that. And it's not surface level and it's really getting into these characters. And I don't know the difference. Like I'm, I'm taking I'm, I'm assuming the game is historically accurate based on either claims that they're making or just by the way the game is designed, then I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like that either. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want companies to do that. Like I'd, I'd want some kind of, I don't know if disclaimer is the right word, but I'd, I'd want to, it should be obvious uh, and not mislead people. I think. And that's, that's another issue is like, if you're, if you're coming into a game and this is your exposure, so like Jordan referenced, Total War was a great exposure for him for, to learn about the Romans and get that developed and so on and so forth. 
Um, but some people will come in and I guess another issue is, is it on the onus of the producer or publisher of a game to make sure that it's a tool that can educate someone? I mean, it's a, it's a popular media form of entertainment. Um, so that's, that's another tough one to navigate is, you know, where, but if they know it's historically inaccurate, can they not use like, would it have, and I didn't play the game. So I'm, I'm more openly asking, could they have changed the names? Could they have, done something in the likeness of a character but changed the you know made it a different person or something like is there a way to spin that um so that they're taking liberties making the game the way they want but it's obvious to the player that they're not like misrepresenting are they using these characters just strictly for marketing reasons like if they're using julius caesar but they're portraying him in a way that is completely opposite of what he actually is like yeah like erebus said like why not like why can't they use different names? Why do they have to use? Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, it, it's an interesting discussion because I actually I disagree with Evan in terms of I do think it's problematic. I like that he used that word. It is problematic. It's not necessarily always bad or always good. It's problematic. I do think the further back you go, the more liberties you can take, and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter uh, because we have less less sources. You know, kind of we're we're all stuck or not not us, but you know our neighbors to the South are kind of stuck in 1776, right? Like they make this constitution and they're really, they're really stuck in that time, right? They're working, they're working from a historical document for modern law. And, um, and it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because whatever they do in 1776 is not going to apply to the modern day. And they keep making amendments to it and, you know, like reading it in certain ways. Um, But it doesn't matter. Like it's, so obviously you, you could really argue that like from 15, 1600 on is when things start to matter more. We have, and we have historically as historians, we have more resources. There's more writing that survived. There, like the sources get, the, the closer you get to the modern day, the better the sources are. So I didn't play Unity. Um, uh, the last, other than Odyssey, the last Assassin's Creed I played was two actually. Um, and I, I think it's interesting you talk about Robespierre and how they totally, you know, and like other characters and how they totally misrepresent them. I don't know the so- I don't know the character. I don't know the sources. So I would be um, in Erebus's side. Like I would play that and kind of be like, oh, okay. They were, they were kind of like this. Like, obviously I know that they're not Templars and assassins and whatever the God <laughs> devices. But, um, but when I think of, the depictions and how they did uh, the characters in Assassin's Creed 2, for example, like the Borgia Pope, who historically, the record of the Borgia Pope is that he was a terrible Pope and his family was a terrible family and they were very evil. Um, They make him an evil guy. They make him in charge of, you know, the Templars or whatever, a major part of the Templars. Uh, Meanwhile, Katarina Sforza, is kind of like this rebel, you know, like freedom fighter kind of person, like on the side of the assassins fighting against the Borgia Pope. Now, in real life, those two did fight and those two were serious enemies. Uh, but if you watch, uh, there's two different television shows. If you watch the two different television shows of the Borgias, the Borgias are the main characters. And yes, they do bad stuff, but Katarina Sforza also isn't good. And none of the other ancillary characters in, you know, uh, uh, late medieval Italy or Renaissance Italy are good either. So is it problematic? 
I think it can be the closer you get to modern day, the closer you get to people who still matter to us and who are, are figures that we rally behind. Again, I talked about Winston Churchill. A lot of people rally behind Winston Churchill. For a lot of the world, Winston Churchill is a monster. Um, it, it gets really problematic then. You know, if you have a video game that's like, rah, rah, Winston Churchill is the big hero, how's that going to play in Ireland? Not well. How's it going to play in India? Not very well. Right. Um, so it it's hard. I think... So it's like almost I, no matter I what, if you're portraying... I think it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. That, if you're portraying you're a historically have, accurate... If you're trying to be historically accurate, no matter what character you portray, you're going to probably piss somebody off. Is the way yeah, I'm gathering. Because you have to... You At the end of the day, you pretty much have to decide on a narrative for that character, on an arc for that character. And you're going to... And depending on your view, you're going to pick one or the other, right? You're going to pick, was he a hero? Was he a monster? You know? Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Mm. No, for sure. Um, another point I wanted to bring up. Um, how do developers have a responsibility to be historically authentic, even if it threatens inclusivity? So I kind of wanted to touch on that. So like maybe not even inclusivity, but like if there's parts of the history, like Jordan, I remember you were mentioning before, I think it was uh, about like, you know, like uh, in certain wars, there was a lot of like rape and all, all this horrible, horrible stuff. Like obviously they're, they're probably not going to show that kind of stuff in video games. Right. But like, where is that line? Right. Like I know there was a big issue with I think it was Battlefield five where they were showcasing saying there was uh, women soldiers in the game. And a lot of people were upset about that because they were saying, no, there was no women soldiers in the U.S. Like, do you think that's do you think that's an issue for EA to put women soldiers in the game? Like, I guess it depends on who you who you talk to. Right. If they if they're trying to be historically accurate or historically authentic, is that a problem? I, I think, in my view, if you're marketing it as this takes place during insert time period and this is happening, and that's the way you market it, yeah, I think it is a problem if you do that deliberately. But if this is an alternate history or what could have been, or you're making taking those liberties and you make that clear, yeah, I think there is some freedom to do that. To what extent? I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's tough to say. I mean, you, you referenced... Uh, you know, there's been various dark things throughout history. Do you want that portrayed? Do you want certain groups to be completely marginalized in your game in a disturbing way? Well, I don't know. Like, is it necessary to go to those extents in games and to portray history in such a way that it's so raw and um, you're excluding groups entirely from that? And I don't know. I, I, I think I think it's very tough. And I think when a developer gets into those situations they need to be careful about what they want their game to be, what their overall mission and vision for the game is, and make sure that that aligns with that. And you're not changing based on, I want to meet the needs of this particular audience above all other audience members. Mm -hmm. You need to keep it, okay, what are my core values as a company? What's my mission for this game? And not, not pander. If it's genuine, great. But I find a lot of companies, and not just in the video game industry, but outside, tend to pander and make it seem like they're being so woke. And it's just not. It's just a money grab. It's just a money grab for PR. Sure. 
Um, I think I think Evan nailed it when he said, you know, like what is what is the mission of the company or the game, right? So, uh, the whole Battlefield V thing or whatever, <laughs> the World War II one that came after Battlefield One, uh, it's ridiculous, right? Because you can tell. First of all, it's ridiculous because it's Battlefield, and what is the main what is the main uh, push of Battlefield? It's the multiplayer. Sure. So yeah. right off the bat, if you if that is the main push of the game, then like, no, who gives a shit? Um, you know, I, it's much more important that women who want to play games and or younger girls who want to play games can see themselves in it. It's much more important. Yeah. Uh, the per the whole push and purpose of that game was not to be historically accurate, and you knew that from the very opening trailer. When like Buddy's got his like weird pros- his like rifle prosthetic or whatever, and you know they're busting out of the building in the tank, it's just like ridiculous. The trailer's ridiculous. So to think that that is going to be like historically accurate at all. Now it's interesting because you juxtapose that with Battlefield One, and that was uh, much more serious. And I think I think the mission of that game was to tell a more compelling story. It was to share stories of World War One that a lot of people don't know about because, you know, if you look at the World War One and World War II sections, that chapters uh, or wherever you buy books, um, you'll see there's a, there's, a, there's a big difference. You know, you get aisles and aisles and aisles of World War II. Everybody writing about Hitler and Winston Churchill and tanks and, you know, the Waffen-SS and whatever else. M- many fewer people are writing about World War I. And many fewer and, people know anything about World War I. It's not as sexy, just- right? Just to jump into a Battlefield 1, just quickly on that point, what I find interesting is another problem is Battlefield 1, if, if they're marketing that as, ah, we're, we're respecting history, they got maligned for that and criticized by a lot of historians for some of their depictions. And so then if you're marketing your game as, ah, we want to give a treatment to history in this way, then you've got a different audience that's going to come back at you and various other groups are going to say, ah, you're not meeting, you know, so, so once again, how do you balance that? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do you want to go more fast and loose, like a Battlefield yeah. V or 5, whatever you want to call it, or do you want to go a bit more accurate, but maybe not quite hit the mark in a 1? The answer there is money, right? Like historians aren't buying the games. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people are buying the game. So, so yeah. you know, it's Most like, fair, okay, yeah. the historians can say anything they want and they're going to complain. But overall, I, I would say, you know, like obviously it's quicker and stuff like that. It still has to be a game. The fun still has to be there. But I guarantee a lot of play- people played Battlefield 1 and they learned a lot of stuff. And then I also think it's, inter- you know, like you couldn't play as a woman. Now you could play as like a black German soldier or something like that, which I think would have been a little bit uncommon. Um, but uh, not, not, you know, impossible. And there's other games like The Witcher and uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance that uh, uh, actually people of color have been, you know, in predominantly white communities all over the world throughout history. That that is, it's never been a thing where like you know we haven't had kind of like international liaison, international travel. You know, there is a there's a Syrian couple buried up near Hadrian's Wall. Um, so, and you can see on her tomb, she's wearing her hair in like a Syrian style and stuff like that. Uh, and that's all the way from Syria to the north of England. Uh, so there have been people of color all over the world throughout the beginning of history. So, uh, so for them to say like, oh, we didn't include them because it's not historically accurate is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then uh, one of the expansions for Battlefield 1 and, and you see them getting away from it. Not that I think this is inaccurate, but you see them getting away from it because all the expansions for Battlefield 1 were multiplayer. Nothing added to like those strong narratives that I think they had. Uh, but the Russian campaign, the Russian Revolution, uh, you can play as women in the Russian Revolution. Uh, 
um, emissions. Uh, and it's because women would have taken a part in those in some capacity. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, I, and like Evan said, it's really, it's just the, whatever the mission of your game is, right? If it's just to be fun, then no, don't, don't eschew inclusivity because, okay, well, it wasn't accurate, but like, you know, neither is, neither is your rifle prosthetic arm. So don't eschew it just for that. But if you are trying to tell a very tight and intimate story, um, you know, I still don't understand why like a game like Call of Duty, for example, Call of Duty uh, Cold War, let's just use that as an example. Like, why does it all have to be men all the time? Mm-hmm. It's like always men all the time. And it's like, you know, why does Call of Duty Modern Warfare have to be all these like gun-toting bros? Uh, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Now, it, that might be the market that they're selling to most, you know, like they have their Doritos and their 7-Up or whatever. But um, <laughs> but there's a lot of women that play Call of Duty. Right, exactly. Yeah. So so it, it should change. And I'm of the opinion that they missed the mark completely. In Call of Duty Cold War, you should have been a Soviet. You should have been with Khrushchev. You should have had to foil an American plot. I think that would have been much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Any other points you guys want to throw in on that? Yeah, um, I I pretty I mostly agree with what Jordan's been saying. Um, I think there's still elements where, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it all depends. Going back to what I said, I guess it all depends about the vision and the mission of the game. And in the end, a video game is an entertainment product. And if you want to come in with something that's multiplayer, that's fun to play, that people will enjoy and interact with, maybe get a little history here and there, I don't think you should be under that much pressure to nail all the historical points. Um, I think you can have fun with it, and that's the beauty of gaming, is that you, it's it's meant to be fun. And from my experience as a teacher and using video games in the classroom, you know, some educational video games... You lose sight of that. They focus so much on the historical accuracy that it just becomes a lesson packaged up into what they call a game. And it's a pretty sad excuse for it. So I think that Mm -hmm. if you're a mass market video game company and you're creating something like a Call of Duty, I think you do have freedoms in that vein to to play a bit fast and loose with history. And uh, I don't think you should be maligned for that as long as it's coming from a good place and you're keeping in mind what you want as a company and also you're marketing it a certain way to your audience and you got to make sure those those align with each other because you don't want to have the marketing be one way and then when they actually play the game it's totally different well quick example totally off of history no man's sky um marketed initially as x came out and it was y and people were like what Mm -hmm. you know and, and you can do the same thing with a history game so so i'm basically you stay in you keep aligned with your mission your vision your values for the game you market it that way and that's what people get in the end and that's what they come to expect. And I think some people get thrown off when their expectations don't align. And, you know, that could be on the person, that could be on the company, but it's, it's hard to say. But yeah, I, I think there should be some freedom. Sure. Um, have you guys played God of War? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. The mo- like the most recent? Yeah, the, the, the Norse one? I, sure. I, I haven't played them, to be honest. So... <laughs> I, I wanted to touch on it because I want to get your guys' take on it. So, like, like I said, I haven't played it, but I'm I've seen like trailers and stuff like that. But my understanding is that there's a lot of Greek Norse mythology. Is, is it both or or one of or one of those? Both. It's both. Is it okay? starts starts like in the PS2 era in Greece, and then uh, and then you end the world, and then you go. But 
Scandinavia is okay. Yeah. So. But but then but then in the most recent Norse version, there is Greek mythology in the Norse in the mostly Norse version as well. So they're kind of mixed in there. It's interesting. Yeah. So the games are obviously not historic. They're not aiming to be historically accurate. No. At all, right? But there is a lot of still a lot of history in those games. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. A lot, a lot, a lot might a lot might be a strong word, but yeah, okay. But but is there, there is there, there value in in that? If there's some history in the games, do you think there's value in that? In that God of War can lead people to get an interest in Greek or Norse mythology? Absolutely, and that's what yeah it does. happened to me. I played God of War when I was a kid, the first one that came out, and I don't know if I had before. I mean, memories are always funny like that, but um, I'm pretty sure that was one of my big pushes to fall in love with greek history play the first god of war rented it i think i played uh played 13 12 hours straight something like that beat the whole game (laughs) and uh i was i was hooked then i was like i want to know more about these gods i want to know more about this i want to know more about that and maybe that's just me but i don't know i do think there is potential there i just don't think you go into it going okay i'm looking for a highly accurate representation of norse mythology or greek mythology Mm -hmm. 12 12 of those 13 hours evan just spent in aphrodite's chamber well, I mean, you got to have your priorities straight. X, X, zero, zero, triangle, square. <laughs> um, a game we talk about on the podcast uh, that was that's probably been our most successful episode, actually. We talked about uh, Hades. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. Um, I haven't we, played it yet, but I haven't played it either, so sorry. Okay. But uh, Erebus and I are, are big on that game. We really enjoy it. But that game is obviously not historically accurate either but my understanding is that all the gods depicted are their actual selves like zeus is the lightning wielding god right and there's there's poseidon and there's all all i don't know if they're all there but there's a whole bunch of them so even just from an educational perspective if you're trying to learn about different different uh, greek gods and stuff i mean that's i think there's certainly value in that would you say the same thing erebus yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to my my thing on I really enjoy games that kind of, again, surface level, kind of just get you into a topic, give you a little bit of the history, a little bit of the, the background. I mean, Hades is a roguelite, top-down action, you know, platforming game or whatever, like sort of Diablo-esque. Um, but they have lots of dialogue, lots of history within that dialogue. Uh, I'm actually on a YouTube channel here now. Um, you guys would definitely like this. I was just doing some research before. It's called History Respond. They only have about 9,000 subscribers, but they do hour to hour and a half long videos where they interview doctors and historians and stuff like that um, uh, uh, through universities in different places. That um, And the, the latest video they have is on Hades. Uh, they do an hour and a half interview with some historians on, on Hades and the accuracy of it. And apparently it is surprisingly very accurate so again for me i don't use gaming or i haven't experienced any games yet where i've used it as a primary media device to learn history but it gets me into that topic i learn a little bit about it and then i do outside research like like this and uh and get more into it but but yeah that that drew me into hades for sure um you know some of learning a little bit more about the behaviors or or you know the what history has said the behaviors of those individuals were so Mm-hmm. And and like you said, yeah. If anything, it gets you, it gets your feet wet, right? It's like, okay, well, yeah. I actually find this kind of interesting. Let's take more in depth look into it, whether the game is accurate or not. I just think, yeah, it's a good way to just dive mm-hmm. dive into it and get more interested. 
I think an example for me too, and and, and you as well, Erebus, is when uh, the movie 300 came out, right? Going back to Spartans again. Like yeah. Gerard Butler, this is Sparta, you know, Spartan kick. It's awesome. Like just full on action. All the guys are ripped and they're just kicking ass the entire time, right? And it's just like, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. Spartans are so cool, right? And then you yeah. look up the actual war. Like when you're actually researching it, I'm like, oh, well, it's probably, again, I'm not a history guy myself, but based on what I was reading, it didn't exactly happen the way it was depicted was, in the movie. It wasn't exactly just 300 guys in that past. Exactly, right? right? right. It's, there, yeah. there are a few hundred extra guys kind of kicking around. But yeah. yeah. But but again, it got me you know interested in, in the story, right? So exactly. whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But for me, I, I think that's, and for a lot of people, that's probably a good entryway into learning about history, right? Whether it's in movies yeah. or games. One thing that you mentioned, and you said you're not not really a history guy and so on and so forth. So I guess, I mean, anyone watching that's not super into history, I guess another way to understand this is, if, so if you're a historian or you know enough about history and you're playing a game and you realize, ah, it's historically inaccurate, that's wrong, that's wrong, it might take you out a bit. So let's take you out of the game environment and you have issues with it depending on who you are. Some people are more critical than others. So if you look at it in a sense of the internal logic of the narrative of any given game, the world you've built... And then you start changing things in that internal logic. And the player, and I'm sure you've all played games where you're like, something just doesn't fit in the Mm -hmm. narrative of that world. And it happens in the game. And then you go, that doesn't make sense. That is a video game representation of what historical accuracy looks like to people who know the history. Because it takes you out of that experience. So I'm trying to think of a game now. that I can't think of one where basically you have this established logic of how the narrative is how the world is and then something happens a character does something completely out of the norm doesn't fit any of the history doesn't fit any of their character progression and then you go wait a second and then you step back and you're like you're not in it you're not as immersed and Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what happens when you notice historical accuracy in games and they're glaring it's a similar kind of kind of feel yeah no for sure um we're clocking a little bit over an hour here, so I'd kind of like to get uh, our final thoughts on this, if that's cool. So um, I think we all agree about like the question, should developers aim to be 100% accurate when it comes to depicting history? I think the answer, we can all say no on that, right? Like, no, I don't think, I guess, depending on what kind of game it's aiming to be, generally, no, they don't need to be 100% accurate. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, well, okay. Let's just let's just put it like this: Does historical accuracy actually matter in games? So I guess we'll get our final thoughts on that. So, Erebus, what do you think? Does historical accuracy actually matter at the end of the day when it comes to producing and it matters in games? It matters in games that I feel it would bother me, and it bothered me bothered me in movies too, like. I probably have more examples from movies when I do research and I find out something was portrayed a certain way. And I kind of felt, you know, either it was propaganda or I just felt deliberately misled. And I, I just, you know, it didn't, unless I can understand in a game, why they did that for a gameplay reason. But again, even that they could, there's ways that, that, that developers I think can be smarter to, so that the, the gamer knows it's not historically accurate, but you can still enjoy it. So I, I, again, surface level for me. And if it's fairly obvious, I, enjoy a little sprinkle of history. I haven't played a game yet. Maybe I'll play one from you guys uh, that is a lot more focused on the historical authenticity or, and, and, uh, and I can learn a lot more from it, but it doesn't take away from the gameplay experience. I'm to, to Evan's point, uh, you know, on immersion, like I, 
if something takes me out of a game um, and it's for gameplay reasons uh, and, and it's, it's for the sake of being historically accurate, it, it doesn't matter. Like I won't, I'd rather finish a game and it be historically inaccurate, but I learn enough from it to do, to kind of prompt me to do some more background research than play a game that is historically accurate. And then I'm just like, I, I lose interest, you know, an hour into the game and then I never end up, you know, learning more about that topic. So, but I think it's, I think with the development of VR uh, that we've touched on in other podcasts with the development of technology, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, what developers come up with and how, um, it can be used as an educational tool for people uh, on history and especially as the years go on and we've got more, now we have more records of history, right. As, as time goes on and the years go on. So like 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, a video game on nine 11, right. Like how's that going to look or what kind of, what are we going to see there and those types of things. So mm-hmm. um, it, 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 I, I'm, I, I, I like, I, I think um, my, my fear, I guess, is that, um, and I'm really liking what you guys are doing with, with kind of the way that your, your company is, is, is marketing or, or, or working on games and kind of the angle that you have, because I really fear, I guess, as time goes on that it won't matter enough and there won't be enough of a market for it as, as time goes on to the new generation comes up and those types of things. So, um, I hope it still matters, but I'm, I'm concerned it won't. And, you know, the Fortnite sub the world will take over and, uh, and we'll lose that. So hopefully that doesn't happen, but. Um, I, I, I just, it, it matters to me. I don't know if it matters to the mass, the, the masses as much as it should. And hopefully it will grow. Cool. Evan, final thoughts on historical accuracy in games and does it matter or not? So, yeah, I'm going to say yes out of the gate, but there's a huge caveat to that. And it's, it's, it just goes back to what you want the game to do. Um, are you doing alternate history? Are you doing, um, is this about multiplayer? Is this about mostly focused on the gameplay and so on and so forth? And just to link back to my previous point is portrayals of real people. And, and that can be really problematic is the more recent you get, you know, you don't want to put a certain slant on someone that is going to get you in really hot water. And maybe you do, maybe you want to take that risk, but then are you risking marketing potential? Are you risking your reach for the game by making those statements? And do you want that to seep in? And it's all part of bias and stuff like that. So it's a complicated question. And the fact that we're making historical and cultural focused games, you think it would be an immediate, like, yes, absolutely. But I don't think we can approach it from that way. A historian. And I mean, we're, we're both historians too, but uh, traditional historian, academic, so on and so forth, maybe going like, you know, doc- a doctor in certain, you know, and, and they haven't really looked at entertainment, per- especially with video games, a lot of misunderstandings there. There's an expectation of if you do X, it's got to be completely accurate. You know, the history's there. Why not, you know, research and get it all right? But is that the purpose? And, that, and that's what it always comes back to to me is what is, what are you trying to do? We, we're trying to preserve and show cultural historical narratives that are important. And often on a very personal, deeper level, we're, we're, we're touching on some really tough topics and maybe some perspectives you haven't seen on different topics. And, and I think that's important. But if you're looking at, you know, you know, um, these specific things, is this date right? Is this person exactly the way they're supposed to be? Is this event exactly the way it happened? And so on and so forth. There are too many gaps. And if the information is there, is it misinterpreted? Is it biased? And so on and so forth. So I think basically you got to know what you're getting into. 
And as a developer, you've got to know what the whole point of the game is. So in the end, I'd say that it depends on what you want to do. But in the grand scheme of video games, I'm going to say no. I said yes, but, but I'm going to say no. <laughs> that historical accuracy in the grand scheme of all video games, and even historical ones at that, I mean, th- quick throw in for Civilization. Civilization is extremely historically inaccurate, but it has so much historical value mm-hmm. um, as a learning tool about diplomacy and war and different cultures. But I mean, you could be um, the, I don't know, you could be Stalin and build great pyramids. I mean, that's not historically accurate whatsoever. Nuclear but, Gandhi. Nuclear Gandhi. There, yeah, 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 where they had that yeah. glitch early on. I don't know if you know the glitch early on in development. Then Gandhi went nuclear, and they just kept it in every other game that he was super aggressive when he was supposed to be a pacifist, and it was just a glitch, <laughs> and they kept it. But that game, I think, is a perfect example for me, and I've used it while teaching. It is extremely historically inaccurate, but the historical value of that game is monumental to me because there's so much in there, these little nuggets of truth from history that you put in there. Taken as a whole, not accurate but taken in parts that you can play off of and expand on and learn more about, I think it's very powerful. So yeah, I'd say no or yes, but, or whatever you want to put it. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very weird answer. I, I like what you said. Like it, it comes down to purpose, right? What does the company, what is the company aiming to do? Do they, do they really want to preserve culture? Like, like you guys are doing and tell stories that way, or are they just, you know, it just, it, it, it comes down to purpose. That's, that's my understanding of what you're, what you're getting at for sure. And uh, Jordan, final thoughts: historical accuracy yeah. games. Like like Levin said, you know, it's it's the purpose. But I would say no, accuracy doesn't matter. Authenticity matters, but accuracy doesn't. Fair enough. Yeah, I would agree with that too. As long as the game is being authentic in its history, then I I think that's ultimately what it comes down to, and purpose as well for sure. Okay, that was a that was a good discussion, guys. I, uh, I enjoyed that. I don't know if we put the topic to rest or not, but I think uh, we definitely put a, a massive dent in it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's huge. It, it's complicated. Oof. It's it's not easy for sure. Um, yeah. Like I said, we are over time, but uh, if you guys have time, are you up for a small game of trivia? For sure. Absolutely not. I'm done with this. Uh, I think I'm just going to throw in the towel now. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I'm fine. Okay, I'm see you later. No, it's good. Uh, okay, so this is the segment of the show where I like to ask the panel who was here now uh, a question usually re- uh, that is related to the topic that we've discussed. So I'd like to think it is. It's actually about the Oregon Trail. Have any of us played the Oregon Trail before? Oh, yes. Long yeah. time ago. Long I have not. Long, long I'm, scru- I'm screwed. I haven't. <laughs> Uh, it's all good like i said it's all for fun but if you get the question wrong you're never allowed on the podcast again so pressure's on no oh i was looking for a way out so that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) excellent all right here we go so i'll ask the question and it's multiple choice and uh if anyone knows the answer for sure i'll go to them first uh sorry if anyone knows the answer for sure i'll go to them last so that the other people can have a chance uh to guess but we'll go around and then i'll reveal the answer after sound good Perfect. So, the Oregon Trail is a series of educational computer games. The original game was designed by Don Ratwich, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, and he was a school teacher. He wanted to teach his 8th grade school class uh, about the realities of 19th century pioneer life on the Oregon Trail. But the question I have for you guys is, what year 
Did Don unveil the Oregon Trail to his eighth grade class? So he, he revealed this game to his class before it was released to the masses. Was it in 1961, 1971, 1981, or 1991? So I'll say it again. I think I know what? It, so I'll sit back. Yeah. So again, he's a teacher. He wanted to educate his class on the realities of 19th century pioneer life on the Oregon Trail. And he showed his eighth grade class first before anybody else. What year did he do this? Was it 1961, 1971, 81, or 91? So, Evan, you think you have a decent idea. I hope. (laughs) I came in way too confident on that one. (laughs) I'm I'm just in my mind. I'm like, surely it cannot be before 81. Surely cannot. But it's an old game. Yeah. Erebus, you have a... I'm going to say 81. So, Jordan, you're going first. You're taking the stab at 81. I'm going to say 81. Okay. Uh, Erebus, we'll go to you next, since Evan's pretty sure on this. Trying to remember when it was released... But, like, I don't think it's 91 because he, I'm pretty sure it was out then, or it was about to be out, unless he showed it right before. But I don't like guessing the same thing as somebody else, and I was going to go 81. (laughs) 71 and 61 make no sense to me at all. Unless it was like a board game when it first was revealed. Ooh, twist. (laughs) Calthar likes his twist, so I'm going to go 71. Oof. I will tell yeah, you, was it was go. a computer game he did show. To my knowledge, it wasn't a board game. It was an actual computer game that he showed. Okay. Uh, okay. So, On what kind of computer, I have no idea. But I'll still say 71, just in case you have some messed up answer here. <laughs> All right, so Jordan's on 81, Erebus 71, Evan. So I'm thinking about dates with games, and I'm thinking about Pong. Pong is late 70s. Oregon Trail's far beyond Pong graphically. And uh, it's not 91, 100%. Uh, so I'm going to go 81. That's basically Pong came into my head. And I'm pretty sure Pong was mid to late 70s. And I, so yeah, Oregon Trail, I know my uncle grew up playing that. And that was more in his wheelhouse. So 81. Okay. So Jordan and Evan, you both said 81. Erebus, you said 71. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. We have a correct answer. So Erebus, you are correct. It is 1971. What? Wow. 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 So My he, process of elimination sucked. Did he show it on a toaster? Like, what did he show it on? <laughs> Keep in mind, That's it amazing. is a wow. series of educational computer games. So there's not just one game, right? Mm-hmm. There is a bunch released. So the very first iteration from the little research I did, he released it to, he showed his class in 1971, and then it was actually published and released on to the masses in 75 75 75. that's way earlier than i thought huh yeah and i I thought the same thing because we i know because i can picture it in my head and that's that seems early but but like i said there are a bunch of iterations of the game like there might be like 10 Uh, i was gonna say we played it it was was a hot it was a hot product in the 90s yeah and when we played in the 90s that was probably i don't know the eighth iteration or something yeah right so Wasn't the very first iteration, like, I believe, was probably like a tech. It could have been a text-based one for all I know. I'm confused. I'm good. I'm confused yeah. by the timing, though. Like with the whole Pong thing, like uh, Evan just said, uh, Pong was 79. How? I, I, anyway, I have to research this afterwards. This is fascinating to me. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. Must, must have been like a, a text. I, I would say it was very, very oh, minimal. Axie. But the I'm very sure. first, <laughs> it was the first iteration, as I said, remember. So yeah. it's probably... Wasn't that, just just to jump in now, wasn't that like extremely graphic in a certain point of that game? Or am I thinking of another game that was called The Oregon Trail? Because I remember there was a certain scene in there that probably is not appropriate for 8th graders, <laughs> if, unless I'm thinking of a different game that came out. I'm not sure. You might be thinking of a different game. I don't know. I just, what was the meme that came that from up? it? Like you died of dysentery or something? Is that what? Dysentery, the, yeah. yeah. That's like the most famous thing. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. All right. Well, I know what I'm thinking of. I know the game I'm thinking of. Uh, General Custer's Revenge. Yeah, that's different. Like that. that that's is very different. different. <laughs> yeah. That is a very different game. Ooh. And Jordan knows exactly what I'm thinking of right that now. That is a different uh, game. That's, that was okay. That's, yep. You're not going to show out the eighth graders. Okay. Glad that's not the same game. <laughs> I've never heard of that game, actually. I'll have to look it up I, after the show. I just—it's—it's it's right on the yeah. If you go right on the wiki, the wiki, it's uh, 1971 released in 1974 to the Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium, and it was released on an HP 2100 mini computer. Is it text based? Uh, I, I feel like it would have to be. Maybe he was a time traveler and it just looked amazing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be yeah, something? But it's it's got it. it has to be. Yeah, there's no way. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the trivia segment. So thanks, uh, thanks guys for for doing that. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, we'll do the final send offs now. We'll do the uh, farewell and plug and all that kind of stuff. So Erebus, anything you want to plug or say before we uh, head off? No. Uh, uh, Twitch.tv/slash Erebus as always. I had I didn't stream this week. Maybe it'll be next week. It's been five years. We'll see. <laughs> yes, Erebus used to stream all the time, and he, he plugs himself every single week, yet he still has not streamed in a long time. Um, so, Evan and Jordan, I'll let you both uh, take this part here. So, is there anything you want to plug or say about uh, Stormy Shore Studios, specifically, before we go? Uh, we're the best gaming company to ever exist, um, nice. and our games are going to be entirely historically accurate, and we're going to do the impossible. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to make the expectations too high, and I think we're going to sell a billion dollars worth of games. So, does that sound, does that sound good? Reasonable? I think it's that's a reasonable pretty, expectation. That's pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. Definitely sounds good. A billion dollars worth of games definitely sounds good. That's pretty Please reasonable. Yeah. That happen. That's pretty mm-hmm. reasonable. Um, no, realistically, though, um, there's not much to plug right now. we got our various social platforms. They all, it's funny, now I'm on the spot. They all have different names. Like, I know Twitter is a short stormy, but there's variations on our name, and usually they're linked on the various social platforms, so they shouldn't be too hard to find. And our website is www.stormyshore.com. And, yeah, you can check it out. I think it looks pretty okay, and there should be links to our various pages on there as well. Uh, do you guys have, so it's two games, Regiment and Relocation. And yep. do you have release dates lined up yet that you're willing to share? No. <laughs> or is that put you on the spot? I, wrote, I just oh, really, I really, really want to play these games. That's really Certainly funny. You're not. a funny man. Certainly not. Cool. It's, um, on so yeah. it's on the cyberpunk schedule. It's on the yeah, cyberpunk yeah. schedule. Cool. I figured I'd try. I, I don't know if we get an exclusive like really reveal on the right show now. or not. So I figured and I'd try. We're whipping the employees. There's a really strict crunch going on right now. They are, uh, <laughs> they're chained up in, in our basement. Um, nice. in front of computers and it, it's 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 very sad but they're doing something because they love it and that's all that matters nice that'll be, um, that'll be next week's uh, debate topic yeah yeah oh yeah. well, that's a good one actually i did i did report on that um 
but yeah, release dates. I put up when I first put up the website mid September, and this is me being naive. I was like, I'm just gonna put up uh, Q3 and Q4 next year. I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll get one around that time. Maybe not. But right. we'll see. Uh, I don't want to put any numbers on it. So if you see that in the website, the website's a liar, and I had nothing to do with it. Cool. Well, we would love to have you guys back on the show. Maybe when we're further along development, maybe we can actually have a show dedicated to you guys specifically talking about your games. Because I'm, I'm certainly interested. I know Erebus is as well. So I think it'd be cool to have you guys back, if you're up for it, to have uh, further discussions. Or we can pick another topic and debate that too. But I think I think it was a lot of fun today, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Have you guys? We have so. speaking fees though, so uh, I ah. feel like those will go way up. So you should take advantage of us now, um, <laughs> because you know it'll be like really, really, whew, it'd be dicey. Yeah, now we're up for that. That'll be fun. Yeah, cool, yeah. perfect. Um, do either of you have uh, have individual personal twitters or anything like that uh, outside of yeah, Stormy sure. Shore? You can follow. You can follow me at Scampy Fox on everything. Scampy Fox, got it. Yeah. Evan, anything for you? Uh, no. No, I, uh, no. <laughs> Leave me alone on social media, please. Yeah, perfect. Follow me, but don't at me. Yeah. Don't at me. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I've got a LinkedIn profile, and people will message me about the most random stuff, and I'll be like, hey, okay, I don't know who <laughs> you are. New, what do you want a, from that's me? That's a new one, right? That's a new one. It's like, uh, at me, at me at LinkedIn. Add me on LinkedIn, everybody. Yeah. Give me a follow. I'm really, I'm really hip and happen, and that's what everything happens on the LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm five. I'm five hundred plus. Five hundred plus. <laughs> nice. plus. Yeah. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at I Never Cast for this, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kelthar. If you have a question for any of us on the panel, or uh, any past guests, or if you have just a question at all, or if you want to send us a trivia question to stump all of us, send it to I Never Cast for this at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have Discord. Uh, we're on Twitch. Uh, yeah, all those things. You can find all these social media links on uh, for the show notes of every show on YouTube or uh, on the audio formats as well. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, if you didn't like the show, leave us a review anyway and tell us how we can get better. And other than that, that's uh, like I said, it's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Thanks for Evan and Jordan from Stormy Shore for tuning in as well and evan is is holding up something that says no question no question no don't i don't ask any questions oh okay <laughs> i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh i got you. i'm in a weird you. mood guys uh, guys i'm just uh, maybe i'm tired but it's all just good it's 1208 newfoundland time here so yeah yeah, yeah i tried so. to scribble it down with a pen that was fading and i was like yeah this is not going to work out as well but i've committed to it so i just had to show it i mean the s is all cut right. off and everything it's, it's the effort some yeah. ideas don't work out i appreciate the effort man. it's all good and uh, all right that's going to do it for us guys thanks so much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you all next week at 8 30 p.m 8 30 p.m 8 30 p.m eastern time on monday take care <laughs>